Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except the Jews. But among them were some men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barabbas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. At that time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over all the world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. The disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the leaders by Barnabas and Saul. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks. Thanks be to God. Amen. I know this is kind of a daunting picture for you out there. Five preachers up here, 20 minutes apiece. That's why, that's, that's why we're not wearing robes. It'd be even long for us then. Uh, but be of, be of good cheer. We're Methodist preachers. And we know that the Holy Spirit exits after an hour. <laughs> We will be faithful to our tradition. This is going to be a collaborative sermon. Most of all, it's going to be a storytelling time. You're going to get to know three very special people, new ministers at this church. You heard from Acts. Now, over the next few weeks, today, and Luke and I um, are going to do some couple of, or maybe three special sermons from the book of Acts. It's a great book. Some people say it's the gospel of the Holy Spirit. I would say more accurately, it's the gospel of the church, uh, how we got started and what we're called to be. And Luke starts out, you know, with the, the drama after the wind and fire of that room of, called Pentecost. Peter comes out into the street and he preaches that first sermon. And Luke wants to make sure everyone, all the readers know who's there, people from all over the place. He, he was very particular. He said there were Parthians and Cretans and Medes and Midianites and dwellers of Mesopotamia. He was making it clear right from the get-go of, of his book here that this is going to be a movement not just for a few, but for anyone and everyone. And we see the impetus of that moving through the book of Acts. And here's what's happening. It's not just people becoming disciples and followers of Jesus. It's people figuring out if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to be doing what we're doing today. You're going to be a part of a gathered community that eventually would be called church. Did you notice it wasn't until later on in Antioch that we got our first name as, as Christians? So what happens, 
it's not now just a group of people that are in Judea and Jerusalem. It's spreading out, places like Iconium and Lystra and Derbe and um, yeah, all the way up into Asia Minor and to, to Antioch. And Luke wants us to know the story of the church isn't just the story of the big names, you know, Silas, Peter, Paul, no. It's going to be people like you and me, ordinary men and women who found their lives enlisted not just as being followers of Jesus, but being commissioned you see, to, to be his body on this earth. Now think about that. His body on this earth, the only glimpse that some people will ever have of Jesus comes through the visible body called the church. And that's what's happening in Antioch. People like you and me. Luke doesn't even tell us the name of the preacher at Antioch. He doesn't give us a list of the board of elders. It's just people like you and me caught up and... Um, here on the stage this morning, um, we don't have any Parthians, Medes, Midianites, or dwellers of Mesopotamia. We have a Floridian, a former Floridian, Texan, three North Carolinians, all right? <laughs> and how, by, how many of you from different places out there? What a story. This is our story, Acts. We're, we are that story now. So if, um, if you went on vacation this summer or away for a couple of Sundays, uh, you probably came back and noticed there were new people in robes up front in the chancel and wondering who in the world are these people. Um, here are a few of our new faces that, that came on staff with us this summer. Um, one of the interesting things about the, the book of Acts is that folks came uh, from all over, but their story didn't begin when they joined the church in Antioch or Jerusalem. Uh, their story became, began before. Uh, each of you has a story that informed your story of being a part of Central, and so do these three folks. And so, and so part of what we want to do today is share a little bit, have uh, Lisa and Patrick and Ann share a little bit about their story to help um, each of us understand a little more about how their story interacts with their story of coming to Central. So um, it's going to be less of me and Rob talking and more about them sharing some stories, and I think Lisa's going to start us off. Yeah, so I felt very much like an ordinary person, like like the you, you and me's of Antioch um, when I received my call to ministry. Like, I was just Lisa, right? Um, I didn't feel very special. Um, the kind of jobs that I'd had and the kind of jobs that felt best to me up until this point when I was 35 years old and received this call were all helping jobs. Like, those were the things that fit me the best. Like, starting off as a resident assistant in college. And then that led me to pursue counseling. And so I became a school counselor. Now I'm an executive assistant. So, like, all of these jobs are places where I can be of service. Um, and they're just the best fit for me. Um, there was a time that I was staying at home with my kids, um, just uh, my two oldest, and I uh, felt a little out of practice. Um, it had been a while since I'd been sitting with someone, you know, doing my counseling thing, and so I felt like I needed a, a place to go and hone my skills. And that turned out to be, I thought this was my decision, to go and take a course at the VA Medical Center called Clinical Pastoral Education, CPE. Um, it's chaplaincy. That's that's um, what I was learning there, um, and yeah, I used my counseling skills, um, and I and I got to sort of you know sh sharpen my tools. Um, but but that that position felt like the best job ever because I was using my experience, I was using my training, 
I was using my faith, and this was a whole new thing. Um, you know, it was, it was like it fit all of me. See, I knew I had this gift um, because I've always had one of those faces that people tell their stories to. <laughs> and over time, I would find myself sometimes um, responding to people, and I would say things that I know didn't come from me. So I recognized this as, as a gift. And I thought, you know, I'm using my God-given gift in ministry. And then one day the CPE supervisor said, hey, Lisa, we need to get you into seminary. And I was like, excuse me? Um, me? No, no. Because I'd never seen what I was doing and offering to people as ministry before. So um, we'd been attending Central for like six or seven years, and we'd already been part of, of small groups. And I was, I was being supported and formed um, in this community as a whole, but also in our adult Sunday school class and in Martha Circle, um, and eventually in Theology Pub as, I, as that came around and as I was answering my call. Um, and they, you know, they continued to sort of help me, you know, answer this. And it just got to the point that when there was this opening for congregational care at Central, it was like God just opened this door for me and said, walk on through, Lisa. I have a place for you here. Wow. That's incredible. When I, when I hear Lisa talking about the gifts that she has for ministry, which are apparent, uh, I think about the end of her story where she says that her time at Central and being involved in these groups helped her along, along that path, and that's where my call story would pick up. My home church congregation is who made me into the person that I am today, but it started even before that. Rob had asked us to reflect on our call story uh, and, and think back to when that call came, and I have this weird memory. I have a memory that holds on to everything. My wife says I have a memory like a steel trap, whereas hers is a little bit more like a colander. <laughs> And uh, I went hiking with Anne and her husband yesterday and, and my wife, Hannah, and uh, I don't even think if you asked her now, did we go hiking yesterday? She'd be like, was that yesterday? Did we do that? But I was reflecting on my call story and uh, I had a thought that came back to me and it was, I was in first grade behind Adam Elementary. Uh, we were in portable buildings at the time. I guess we had too many kids in the school or something and so we were outside in a, in a portable building and I had two teachers, Miss Saxton and Miss Franklin. And uh, in between the two classrooms, there was a bathroom in this portable building, and I'm standing in line with this boy whose name escapes me, and I told him, I'm going to be a preacher. I don't know why I said it. We went to church. My parents taught Sunday school, but I spent most of my time in the pews doodling on the program and wanting to get home to watch the Texans play football. So why I said I want to be a preacher, I don't know, and then that, that went away for a bit. And then time came around for me to go to youth group, and my parents wanted me to go either because they needed me desperately to be out of the house on Sunday nights, <laughs> or they were really concerned about my Christian edification, so they sent me to youth group, kicking and screaming. I, I really didn't want to be there. But when I got there, I found a group of people, of other youth and of adults, who surrounded me with love, who encouraged me, and while I was there, I began to feel the movement of the Spirit again, this call, this reminder. I felt like I wanted to be a pastor. So I went to my parents and I said, hey, I think that God is calling me to be a pastor. And instead of saying, you know, Patrick, you should really 
find a job that'll pay you something someday. <laughs> or uh, maybe take a job that doesn't require so much schooling. They said, wow, that's incredible. How can we support you in this? And then they looked at each other because they've never raised a pastor before and said, we don't know what we're doing <laughs> with this either. So they said, you should go and talk to the, your senior pastor. And his name was Reverend Jim Foster. And so we set up a meeting and uh, my 15-year-old self, all of five foot one and with a large afro that came out to the width of my shoulders, I walk into this very distinguished man's office and sit across from him and say, uh, Reverend Foster, I think I have a call to ministry and I think I'd like to be a pastor. He exhales and he leans back. I'm thinking he's going to say, don't do it. But instead he said, wow, what are ways that this church family can support you? What are committees we can put you on? How are times we can get you involved in this service? What are ways that we can make sure that the Holy Spirit moving in your life is nurtured and fanned by this community? And it reminded me of a character in, in Wendell Berry's book, Hannah Coulter. His name is Burley Coulter. He's this old bachelor tobacco farmer. And so when he gets together with his uh, nieces and nephews, he always shares the same prayer about membership. And he says, uh, membership is the way we are. We're members of each other all of us members of everything. The difference ain't who is a member and who is not, but who knows it and who don't. My home congregation saw what I hardly saw in myself, and they wanted me to know, to know it, and to know that call and to own it. Well, I've, I've got to just ask one question of knowing. Okay. Well, still, there we go. Um, one thing I think people want to know, will we become acquainted with the Afro? <laughs> That's a hard sell. If you see Hannah, you can go ahead and ask her, but I don't know if she'll be too keen on that coming back. Uh, Patrick, I really uh, love your call story, um, just how that you were called as a child, you know, and that kind of relates to, to my story a little bit as well as I was called when I was a child. Um, my name is Ann Henderson Owens, and I'm the director of Children and Family Ministries here at Central. And when I was five years old, I remember one Sunday afternoon giving my grandmother a call, and I asked her, what did you do today? And she said, well, I went to church this morning. Did you go to church this morning? And I said, well, well, no, I, I didn't. I actually wasn't sure what church was, as my family didn't regularly attend. And so after the phone call, I go up to my parents and innocently ask them, why don't we go to church on Sundays? I realize now as an adult myself how guilty they must have felt, <laughs> their five-year-old daughter asking them about church because the next Sunday we were walking into the doors of the local church figuring out how we could get involved and be in community there. So I was raised in a local Methodist church where I grew up and was a part of that community for so long and when I was about 16 years old was when that call came back and was tugging on my heart. Um, those of you may know the scripture verse, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It is about an old priest named Eli who's working in the temple, and there's a young boy named Samuel who lives there as well. One night, Samuel is sleeping, and he hears his name being called, Samuel, Samuel. He runs into Eli's room and says, you called, what do you need? Eli said, I did not call you, go back to sleep. A second time, Samuel, Samuel, runs into Eli's room. What do you need? I did not call you, go back to bed. A third time, Samuel, Samuel, 
runs into Eli's room. This time, Eli's response is, I think it is the Lord who is speaking to you. The next time you hear your name, respond by saying, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So the next time Samuel hears his name, he utters those words. I had heard that story for the first time when I was 16 and I was going through a hard time in my life. I then later heard that story three times in the span of a month and realized, ironically, that as Samuel was called three times as a child, it took me three times to recognize that God was also calling me through that story. So my response was, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So I go and I speak to my parents and my pastor, and I'm surrounded in community of people who support me and have me be a part of worship, similarly to Patrick's story. And um, as I go through school and figuring out what I wanted to do in ministry, I knew I was called, but I had no idea in what capacity. But I did recognize, similar to what Lisa said, that I wanted to serve people. I always wanted to be of service to people, and typically it was around children. I would find myself babysitting for families all the time, occasionally living with them for six months, you know. <laughs> I would go abroad um, or go to a different state, live all these different places, and I would say, I'm not getting involved with children again. It's just too hard when I have to leave them, and yet I couldn't say no. I found myself always being around children. And when I was living in Colorado, I was working with this young family, and I had an assignment for school where I had to interview a young child about God. And so I asked this four-year-old, I said, what do you think about God? And she looks at me and says, well, is God real? And I decided to respond in the way that Jesus would by answering her question with a question. And I said, well, what do you think? And she thinks, you can see her face is scrunched up. She's really considering her answer. And after some time, she looks at me and says, yes, I think God is real. And in that moment, I realized, you know, as much as I thought I was teaching her, she was also teaching me. And I learned so much from children in the same way that I try and teach them. And so uh, my passion is just is children's ministry. And I'm just, that's why I'm here at Central, is to just be a part of that. Thank you well, to hear these stories. And I hope when we hear their story, you think about your own story, um, how God has tugged in your heart me in various ways the story goes on in Acts I, I really like this part of the book because this is a hinge moment in this 11th chapter this early church is trying to figure out what does it mean to be church and what kind of church are we going to be this 11th chapter some people call it the chapter of the cross-cultural gospel because now they're getting ready perhaps it looks like to move beyond just being a tribal faith, a faith just of, of Jewish members. Peter goes up at the beginning of this chapter and has this moment with Cornelius. You know, he's in the home of an officer of the Roman Legion and word gets back to First Church Jerusalem, what's happening, they, they kind of, they, they question Peter pretty hard. What are you doing up there? What's going on? And then word gets to the church at Jerusalem that there's these people up in Antioch, First Church Antioch, and my goodness, 
They are taking in Hellenists. They are taking in folks that uh, don't know the Torah, that have not been part of the Jewish faith. They don't know the difference between the doxology and the Gloria Patri. They don't know how to hold your bulletins right side up. What are we doing here? And so they say, Barnabas, you're a good, sturdy, steady type. We're going to send you up there and we want you to bring back a report of what's happening up in First Church Antioch. Barnabas gets there, sends a telegram back to Jerusalem. Be of good cheer, my friends. The Spirit is alive here. These people are full of vigor and energy and boldness. He gets a message to Paul, Saul still at that point, who comes to Antioch and begins to teach with him there. Now this is very interesting. Word gets to the people at Antioch that there is a famine back in Judea. Now remember, Judea, that's the Jerusalem church who had cast some real doubts and skepticism about these people in Antioch. And when they hear there is a famine back in Judea in Jerusalem, they take up a love offering and an emissary is sent with their offering to Jerusalem. I hope you begin to see two pictures here. The Jerusalem church, reactive, cautious, Let's hold everything in place. Let's just make sure we survive. Antioch. Bold, proactive, innovative, a church on the move. Acts describes the spirit as wind and fire. Don't you think there are different ways of responding to wind and fire? Jerusalem. Oh my goodness, the wind is up. Reef in the sails lest we tip over. Antioch, the wind is up. Let's give it all the sail that we have. Fire, we're feeling the fire of God's presence. Jerusalem, let's bank the fire, lest it get out of control. Antioch, oh, the fire is burning. Get the bellows, blow in it, let it burn. So the people of Acts, by the time that wonderful story is unfurled and finished, um, are going to be the people that choose to be the church, like Antioch, which the people of Central, if you want to listen to some of the mission statements and some of our core values, we've very clearly said that's the kind of church we want to be, a church of full wind and fire. And I think you're going to hear it. I think, work, Luke, you've been working with these folks now. What do you think? You know, it's, it's interesting when I think about the church at Antioch and I think about Central, I think about some, you think of Antioch, they do some big things like, like responding to, to the famine. And we've done some big things like responding to uh, hurricane relief or, or the birth of Haywood Street or our partnership with Missional Wisdom or uh, Kairos Minister, Stephen. Like we can talk about the big things. But the way the church at Antioch works is that it's a group of people, both lay and leadership, that have daily responses to the movement of the spirit. Mm-hmm. It's not a, there are the big moments and those are wonderful, but every, every day is a daily choice that we have the opportunity to determine what kind of church we're gonna be. And, and I'm really excited for, for these folks to share a little bit about in their specific ministry area about ways that they see already that Central's choosing that, but also ways they're, they're hopeful in their work here at Central. And maybe you could kick us off, Ann. Um, so, so for me, I've worked as a children's pastor at other churches before, and I have to say that Central's energy is so much more vibrant than those other churches. Um, I, I, ha- I was coming into this position, and it wasn't as if I was here by myself. 
I was supported. The families that I have already talked with in the last three months have already shown me more energy, more proactive ministry qualities than something I haven't seen before. And that's just been really wonderful, you know, going off of the metaphor of the sail. I mean, I feel Central is a ship whose sails are up. And I just jumped in and kept going with what has already been happening. And so I love the way that this church um, considers children. We don't just do childcare, we do ministry for children. And um, I said this earlier today at my children's moment, I had everyone who felt they were a child of God to, to say the prayer with me and most of the congregation responded because we're all children of God. Mm. We're not adults of God, mm. we're children of God. And so I am um, just very excited about the ways that this uh, ministry here is thriving and the ways that we can move forward and be a part of that proactive church. And one of the things that I feel about children's ministry, kind of my philosophy of it, is that it's better to raise a healthy child than to try and fix a broken adult. Not as if being broken is a bad thing, but I would rather start when children are younger so that they have the skills that they need to grow up in life and be a faith. So you're saying that for you, the children are not disciples in waiting. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Right, is, is it, you know, children, yes, they're our future, but they're also our right now. Uh, mm -hmm. So, playing off moving from children to adults, you know, thinking about broken adults. The first thing I think about um, is Stephen ministry in this church. And I think that's a, a huge example of the way the spirit has moved here, that, um, that folks saw a need and, and jumped on the opportunity to develop the Stephen ministry program and to, um, to have that as part of our congregational care model. Um, you know, folks in this church carry out the greatest commandment. You know, we love God with all our heart and strength and mind and soul and, and then respond to that by loving our neighbors as ourselves. And I mean, you can really say that we're loving ourselves so we can love our neighbors, you know, because we all hit spots where it, we get overwhelmed and we get tripped up by obstacles in our life and stuff happens. And, you know, we're not meant to do this alone. Um, we're created to be connected to one another and to hold each other up and to support each other. So, I mean, we have Stephen ministry, we have um, our prayer groups, our prayer shawl ministry, um, our homebound visitors. All of those things, by the way, carried on in between congregational care ministers because um, we had a gap and people stepped up. Hmm. And I don't think that anybody fell through the cracks um, in that time. And so, the way I see it is, is that this is already happening. I'm just, I'm just coming in to kind of carry on and, and take the sail and, and hopefully um, continue to discern what congregational care is going to look like. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be pastoral care. Um, let's face it, I'm part-time. Um, I can't, can't do it all. But we're wanting to develop a congregational care council so that we have a team of people to discern what the needs are and, and how best to meet those needs so that everybody feels loved and cared for and connected to their church. Connected, that's a word that is important to me because it's in my job title. 
as the pastor of connection and discipleship. But it also is something that means more than just knowing the person that sits in the pew next to you. I mean, when we hear about these two different churches where you have Jerusalem and you have Antioch, one is about the people that are in that room right then, but one is about the people that are in the greater community around us. And this week, when I was going over stuff for this sermon, I found a quote from Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and this is what he would say about a lot of churches and synagogues in the world today. And he says, perhaps our synagogues, our temples, and our churches are not as welcoming as they should be. I really think that we do not need for these fellowships to do a great deal more than to have those that are lonely come in and share and be with us. Not in an aggressive way, not to add more numbers to the rolls or more butts in the seats, <laughs> not to increase our standing in the community, but to come in and share, to maybe give us something and in return be known and feel that warmth. And I think that that is the call that we have because as great and wonderful as it is to be here with everyone on Sunday morning, it's a daily choice, like Luke said, to reach out and to meet someone. If we're going to be a community for Christ in the center of Asheville, North Carolina, it can't just be in this building on a Sunday morning. It has to be something that happens all the time. Maybe people that are too nervous to come into a space like this but they will meet us across the street at Foggy Mountain and, and talk to us and tell us what's on their heart. Or maybe people that feel uh, broken by the church will have a place where they will feel loved. Maybe it's on the river or just somewhere in town. But it's a constant looking for the Spirit in others, a reaching out, a finding people in love, opening the doors and not keeping them closed. What'd you hear, Luke, <laughs> in that? I hear excitement, I hear uh, vision, I hear passion, I hear hope. Um, one of the things about the Antioch Church is that it, it um, is a church that had a vision for what it could become. And a place like Central, I mean, we just celebrated our 180th, we, we've been around for a while, and, and, and we are constantly looking forward to where is God calling us next? Where, where is the exciting future of God's call upon our lives. And I think that's something that we learn from the Antioch church. Uh, one question, final, that this is not one that they prepared for, so like I'm putting them on the spot right now. And that's absolutely true. We didn't do this at the other services. But if you had a word or phrase as you look forward and think about the next three to five years, next 10 years at Central, what, what word or phrase would you use? Very brief, just as, as you think about the Antioch church, your call, and the place where you serve. Now I'm putting you in a spot a little bit. Yeah. I think it's uh, wonder that there's this, there is a future for the church. That you see so many things where people are saying like, well, the church is dying, and all, but it's wonder at, at the fact that there are so many spirit-filled people in this city and in these pews right now that are, that are excited and, and want to continue to go forward. It's, it, it really is awesome in that it is strikes me with awe that this is happening, mm -hmm. that there are so, it's just wonder at the, at the fact that the Holy Spirit is moving so powerfully. For me, I think it's collaboration. Mm. Um, just, just the opportunity and, and the way that people have already come together and work and, and see needs and talk to, hey, we have this, and they get together mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and the Spirit moves and things keep yeah, happening. Yeah. So I think collaboration with each other and with the Spirit. 
Uh, mine would just be acceptance and love. Accepting people for who they are when they come here and loving them without borders. Yeah, well said. I want to close with this story that's really something of a parable. So this group of people have gone on a tour of an oil refinery. This is for Patrick. It's a Texas story. It's an oil story. He grew up in oil country. So they're going to this oil refinery, and it's, it's a very well-organized, fairly costly tour. First they go to the administrative offices. They even get to look and get a wave from the hand of the CEO. They see the main conference rooms, and they see the commissary, the, the lunch areas where the whole staffing and all the employees get to gather for lunch. Um, they see the exercise area, but then most importantly, they get to see the refining process. They get to see all the just actually almost endless miles of ducts and, and uh, piping and storage tanks taking crude oil and making it into to oil and gas products that are useful and productive. And it's been quite a tour. It's been a good experience. Oh, they even, toward the end, they get to go to the museum that um, celebrates the history of the company. So now they're in this little room. They're at the end of the tour, and the guide says, are there any questions? And a few people raise their hand, and one fellow keeps raising his hand. And he says, yes, what would you like to know? And he says, well, I appreciate everything. It was very comprehensive. I think we saw just about everything there is to see, but we didn't see the shipping department. Guys, excuse me? Yes, I said, the shipping department. What do you mean? You know, the department where you would take the, the finished products that have been produced and distilled and refined here and, and send them out into the greater world. And the guy turns back and says, you don't get it, do you? He said, what do you mean? He said, well, all the oil and gas that's produced here, we have to use it to keep this place going. Do you get the picture? Yeah. Everything that's produced here, we just use it to keep ourselves going. That's not the picture from the book of Acts. The picture from the book of Acts is that God so loved the world that he sent us Jesus, and Jesus so loved us that he called us to be 